Welcome to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast brought to you by Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Here we share information about farm practices, pulse markets, research outcomes, market development efforts, and much, much more. My name is Sherry Lynn Phelps, and I am the Director of Research and Development with Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Dr. Bunyaman Turan, who is the professor with the University of Saskatchewan Department of Plant Science. He's also a chickpea breeder with the Crop Development Centre and the Ministry of Agriculture Research Program Chair in Chickpea and Flax Breeding and Genetics. Dr. Turan was recently recognized by Saskatchewan Pulse Growers with the Pulse Promoter Award for his innovation and contributions to the growth of the pulse industry. Congratulations on that award. Today, we're going to chat a bit about where your passion for pulses in Saskatchewan stems from, as well as talk about challenges and accomplishments, as well as what you see in the future for chickpeas and how that's going to shape your program. Thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, Sarlene. So let's start off. Let's, um, if you can tell me about your interest in pulse crops and how you got started in breeding and genetics. What drew you to this field? Okay, so this is very exciting questions and, and like uh, my patients. So I started working on legume when I, I did my PhD at the University of Guelph. So before I mostly work with uh, back home with the perennial crops, oil palm, rubber, uh, coconut. And then I came to Canada to Guelph, started my master with forage. So I work with forest crop and then continue my PhD on dry bean breeding programs. That's how I was introduced with the legume and then see the potential, the importance of legume globally and locally. So that's how it's all started. And then I came to Saskatchewan after right away after I completed my PhD in early 2000 and that's when I started. So working as a postdoc, starting new research, what's going on at the in the western part of the country, the hub of agriculture in the country, and learning about the other pulses. So I was assigned not only working for bean, also working for field peas, lentil, and all pulses as a kind of new uh, scientist, new researcher working at the university. That's how it all started. And then starting in 2006, I was appointed as a research scientist working kind of a more like a focus on the chickpea breeding, took over from Dr. Warkentin. So Dr. Warkentin can focus on field peas and then divide it because chickpea is growing the program. So I took over from, from then in 2006 until now, maybe for the foreseeable future. Well, we are so fortunate to have you as part of our Pulse program in Saskatchewan, as well as a chickpea breeder. So how many breeders of chickpeas are there in, in Canada or North America? So it's kind of up and down. So the one that kind of uh, sizable. So in North Dakota, they started a program and then the breeder left, moved to Montana State University, Dr. Kevin McPhee. So he's still working on chickpea, lentils and other pulses. And a new breeder in NDSU, so started also working uh, Dr. Nononi Bandilo, so he's working on chickpea, lentil, and field peas as well. So those two are the most uh, kind of uh, sizable, but still uh, much smaller than what we have here at CDC. And the other one is at Pullman, uh, Washington State University. So those three places, kind of the northern tiers of the United States, where kind of we said almost like an environment what we have here, although 
we have much more challenging environments compared to what they have down there. So, so that's kind of the dynamic of the chickpea program here. So we, we kind of uh, communicate, we uh, kind of share gemplasm at some point and then learning from each other uh, during the process. So really, we can say that you are our chickpea breeder for Canada and one yes. of, you know, two to three in North America. So that's amazing. And, and that's why, you know, we have the chickpeas that we do today. So that's awesome. So where does chickpea breeding in Saskatchewan and North America really fit with what's happening globally? Yeah, so if you look at globally, chickpea is mostly known as the crop for the dry areas. So it started from the eastern Turkey, and then now the largest producer and consumer is India, South Asia subcontinent, and then number than surrounding areas, Australia, Mexico. So if you look at globally, we are probably the most northern hemisphere that's still producing chickpeas. So by itself, we kind of have uh, some potential and also some challenges uh, in, in kind of doing the breeding. So if you notice that those countries that conventional producing chickpeas in over 50 countries producing chickpeas globally, they are mostly in the dry areas. As such, they are very prone to drought. We are on the other side under normal condition, whatever normal is, so we are kind of in an environment really less prone to drought, but we have other challenges, short growing season, cool summer, that all bring together so, uh, challenge what we have here. So we need an early varieties and yet the crop is uh, coming from long growing season. So that's uh, imposed a challenge by itself. The cool summer with drizzle under normal condition again uh, in Saskatchewan, also very conducive for the disease Ascocaita. That's the challenge that we have here. But if you look at globally, if you look at the data from uh, FAO, uh, if you look at closely at the yield per hectare, we are among the top of uh, chickpea uh, yield globally. So if you look at the chickpea yield, so global average of uh, chickpea yield, maybe less than one ton per hectare. And we are about 1.8 and 1.6, they're quite normal, despite all the challenges that we have. So that's kind of the contributions of the breeding, of the agronomy, of the crop management, of the willingness of the farmers here in Western Canada to adopt new varieties, to adopt new techniques, uh, to improve. So we need to continue working on that. Wow, sounds like you've come a long ways. And you mentioned some challenges that, you know, Saskatchewan, Western Canada really faces with chickpeas. You know, since, since you've become the chickpea breeder, what was your biggest challenge with breeding chickpeas and developing new varieties for Saskatchewan? So on the top of the challenges, I should mention for on the top of the challenges that we have, we need to have the yield, the bushel per acre. So that uh, we have to maintain that baseline. And then came all the challenges, for example, the salt growing seasons and then uh, Ascocaita. Those two are the most important uh, challenges environmentally what we have here. So on the top of that, okay, we also need to have the premium. So this is the one that kind of bring the economic benefit to the farmers here. So larger Kabulis, uh seed size, so unfortunately, biologically, all these three factors, maturity, 
Ascokaita blight and seed size are all negatively correlated. So surprise, surprise, probably. So, so if you gain in, in for example, uh, at some point now we understand we can bring, for example, the germplasm that flower early and mature early under Saskatchewan conditions. We know the gene, for example, that there is a gene that we identified from the project that funded by SPG uh, that kind of make the plants less sensitive to the day length. So most of the crop here kind of following the day length. When, when the day length reaching, like in June, 14 hours, uh, day length, and then all kind of start blooming uh, the crops. So there is a in chickpea that can flower much, much earlier and then mature much earlier, but there is no yield. So, so we, we improve that. And then the other challenge is the Ascokaita. This is the one thing, the disease that we have very uh, kind of strong disease pressure. We have two cycles, kind of there is a, I built, I mean, uh, asexual cycles and sexual cycles in, in Canada of the Ascokaita. So that is very diverse disease. And uh, unfortunately, when we screen, so in collaboration many years back with the ICARDA, the Center for, for Dry Agriculture in Dry Areas, where one of the mandate is working on chickpeas. So they have screened close to 22,000 germplasm access and in order to find, is there anything kind of uh, more or less the best resistance? The answer is no, unfortunately. So, so we work with whatever exists in that germplasm, kind of uh, slightly better than the other. And then we try to accumulate so-called inbreeding, kind of a, a small gene effect, try to accumulate. That's where we are now with that. So we have some improvement already coming along. For example, if you look at the older varieties, Zena, or even the worst one, the variety that came from the United States, Sanford and all those things. So those varieties will not survive no longer under Saskatchewan condition. You put them in the field, I don't think you will get any seed from those unless maybe you you spray uh, twice a week during the growing season with fungicide to, to keep the production, which is really uneconomical and really bad for the environment. So the newer varieties that we have, uh, you may need to spray like a two twice, maybe at, 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 on average uh, during the growing season. So kind of the first spraying is uh, needed uh, as a protection. And then the second kind of wait and see uh, uh, if you need it, depending on the environment. And then maybe the third. So so not kind of a five to six time in most cases. So that's the improvement that we have at the moment. So we need to, I need to continue working on that while at the same time also improving the yield, maintaining the yield or even better, and also the seed size so that the Kabuli, which is giving the premium. Yeah, so it's coming along, but it's gradual. It's not going to be revolution all of a sudden, boom, <laughs> you get all the variety, but it is coming along quite nicely. Well, it's good to hear that there, there are some advancements. Um, you know, I can understand the challenges when you are looking at multiple factors that you're trying to influence in chickpeas and that they can be negatively correlated. What do you think it's going to take to really drive those, to really get ascochyta resistance and get that high yielding and that large <laughs> seed size? You know, nothing like putting you on the spot, but, you know, in the future, what is it going to take to really address those? And I guess the, the, the flip side of that is, is there something that we don't know about yet that we may have to target for the future? 
So well, one of the the current project that we have for the Asukaita is that we know that within the germplasm collection of the cultivated chickpeas, there is no strong resistance there. So we expand our boundaries. So we look at the wild species, the ancestor of chickpeas, the related species that are available out there that may possess some resistance to Asukaita. And then the answer is yes, we do. We found some some wild species, but they belong, if you look at the gen, uh, germplasm pool or gene pool, they belong to the tertiary gene pool. So chickpea cultivated chickpea, the primary, and then there's a secondary, and then this is far away on the tertiary gene pools. Because of they belong to the tertiary gene pool, they're not crossable. There's a barrier in crossing with cultivated chickpeas. So that's given another challenge. Yes, there is. And then, uh, so we kind of try to make a bridge crossing with the third species that can be crossed with the cultivated. So that's where we are now to improve the chickpeas. And if the market are more open, acceptable, perhaps one now we know uh, kind of learning uh, and business uh, pieces and, and kind of about the mechanism of the resistance to Ascokaita. So we may apply kind of using like gene editing. Is there anything that we can do by gene editing? But again, this is a research tool and we have to approach it carefully. We have to look at the signal from the markets, whether the market is willing to accept the product. If they're not, so probably I put that as more or less kind of as a, for the commercial breeding application as a lower priority at this point, but we need to learn. So we have already some project before how the technique itself, people have been talking a lot, but there's still a lot of challenges. It's still unknown for any species when you're working with generating. It's not as simple as, as people thought. So there's still, so we need to learn about that so that whenever the market is open for this, I heard the regulation in many countries now become like a regular. So there's not much, uh, there's no additional uh, kind of uh, uh, hurdles need uh, uh, to be uh, kind of satisfied with this new technology. So hope, I hope uh, the market will, will accept that so that we have another tool. So this is a tool only, okay? This is a tool. It's not the, the goal, but it's a tool to reach the goal. So so we have to keep that separate. So gene editing, all those things, is a tool, okay? That can can help us to kind of bypass a number of steps when we do the genetic improvement. That's great. That's nice to add some tools to the toolbox to hopefully allow some advancements in the future. Um, is yeah. there anything that, you know, you have on your radar that you're watching in terms of issues that might be coming up in the future? How do you predict what, you know, what the next big issue is going to be? But is there kind of something that you're keeping an eye on and, and may need to look at including in your chickpea program? Yeah, so this is not only me, perhaps, or any crop. So anything related with the so-called climate change? So we know that the trend in climate change, the, we'll see more frequent of the extreme weather conditions during the, grow, during the growing season. Just to give example, what just we had in 2021, it was so dry, so warm. Like uh, I never kind of experienced like you have 30 to 34 degrees for the whole week with the, with the breeze. So that's kind of that's that's kind of the condition I would expect will be more frequent uh, in the future. So warm temperature during the flowering, more dry. 
So, so the climate change, this kind of, this is the one thing that we, we know that is coming. So how are we going to prepare for this? So, so one research that we are doing as well is to look at into this abiotic stresses in chickpeas, again, using the wild species. So we, we look at into the heat tolerance. So in chickpea, uh, uh, the heat tolerance, kind of the threshold is about 27 degrees during flowering. So most of susceptible lines, sensitive lines during flowering, when your temperature hits 27 degrees Celsius, a lot of flowers will be kind of aborted. Okay, so 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 there are new lines now from the from the uh, wild species, and we have derived lines into specific population that can withstand higher temperature. So we need to bring that as for the future. So when we talk about the climate change, uh, warming, uh, increasing temperature, this also kind of affect the whole kind of a biology. So new disease may come or new strain of the current disease may come. So this is the one thing kind of uh, we do not know where we go. For example, uh, the things that we had, everybody uh, remember probably still, the problem with the chickpeas in the southern part of the province is with Orion, especially and other varieties. So, is there anything with 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 this climate change? Anything with with the changing in the environmental conditions? I do not know. So, so is it something uh, that we need to work? So something unexpected like that is also uh, need to be uh, looked into uh, consideration. And at the same time. The consumer, the consumer needs an even healthier product. They need high protein, uh, better quality, high nutritional value at the same time. And the environmental effects. So we need to use even less and less pesticide during the crop production in order to kind of sustain the agriculture, the chickpea production. So put all this together, that's the challenge that we have here. But I think... We, we, we uh, as a breeder, as a legume crop, we, we see this really fit in nicely if we can overcome some problems. For example, in, in agriculture, you need crop rotation. You need the rotational crop, especially us here. We have kind of a cereal-based uh, crop production in Western Canada. So we need legume. You cannot just rely on uh, oil, cereal, oil, grain, oil, grain. So we need a legume. Uh, 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 to cut that uh, rotation. So that's where kind of all pulses, chickpea, lentil, field peas, fava bean, maybe other legumes uh, have potential here to break up that cycle. And then we know as well, all legumes are fixed nitrogen, can fix nitrogen, low carbon footprint. So that, that's uh, another challenge. So there's a pro, there's a con, there's a challenge, but I'm optimistic. We'll, we'll, We'll continue to work and we'll come up with a varieties that can withstand those uh, conditions. So in other words, to paraphrase what you said, there's no shortage of things to work on with chickpeas coming up. Yes, for sure. Not just chickpea, any crop. You come up with, it's a biology, silence, a biology. Even, yeah. even when, when you put, uh, say, for example, someday we have the best resistant for Ascokaita. So keep in mind, the Ascokaita is not dormant. It's kind of it's biology, it's, it's survival. So they will mutate and they will try to overcome the resistance. So how we manage that? Maintaining crop rotation, maintaining the, the kind of the guide of using pesticide and then use the clean seed. So all those things are, are kind of a small pieces, which you, if you look at individual, but kind of part of the system. So that's how, that's how we, we work it out here together. 
Awesome. So we've talked a lot about of what the opportunities are and what you've been working on. Um, when you look back at, at all the accomplishments that you have had over the years, what one maybe stands out or one or two that stands out in your mind in terms of the impact on the chickpea industry here in Saskatchewan? What do you feel you know, most proud of in terms of the accomplishments to date? So the new varieties that we develop here. So the new, for example, uh, since Orion and CDC Leader came into 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 kind of uh, the production here, and people like it because it's larger seed and then good yield potential compared to the older varieties, and then some improvement on Ascokaita. So we need to continue working on that. So I'm proud of that, despite that the the latest condition with Orion, which is uh, still puzzling us perhaps so what is actually causing it so um, leading us to many directions so we need to work on that so that we know uh, how to overcome in the future so i'm happy with that and i will continue uh, uh, to kind of bring in the varieties uh, with similar levels of, of resistance or, or even better and then higher yield and now that we have another tools that uh, the farmers can use for example if you look at the seed guide now all the newer varieties uh, will have resistant to imazamox herbicide. So, and then this is kind of a generic biology. This is from the existing uh, variability within the germplasm. So there is no additional cost anything. Feel free to use it if you want. If you don't want to use it, you can still grow the varieties, no problem at all. So, so that's kind of another tool. But again, this is a broad leaf with control with a group two uh, herbicide. So you need to approach it very carefully. You have to follow all the labels so that you're not creating the weeds that become more and more tolerant to, to this kind of herbicide. So again, this is a tool, but again, you have to approach it very carefully. Follow all the recommendations. Don't make a shortcut. So that's, but we will continue. Maybe uh, in the future, who knows, maybe we come up with a new varieties with a broader spectrum of herbicide, just using a Natural variability. We're not doing any tweaking uh, uh, with other techniques or nothing. So basically, it's just conventional. It takes longer, but but it can be done. I think growers would be happy to hear that if there, you know, is development of some new herbicide tolerance options, because weed control is always a challenge in a small crop when we have limited products that are registered. So going back to varieties, we know that variety development is, you know, the ultimate goal of your program. And you've developed 16 varieties since you've established yourself at the University of Saskatchewan in 2006. That's amazing. You mentioned, you know, Leader and Orion, which are, you know, two of the, the mainstream Kabulis right now. And, you know, in the past, there's also been varieties that have been developed that are different. So there is a red one, there's a black one, there's a green one. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, what the different chickpeas that you have worked on and developed and why there are some differences and, and why you would target those odd colors and shapes and sizes? Sure. Yeah, so the main target is the large Kabuli because that's kind of the premium the farmers will get. So large Kabuli. And then there's a kind of another type of chickpeas that you use for making hummus. So large Kabuli people use it like for salad and all other purpose. For the smaller Kabuli type, for example, uh, there's new varieties, uh, CDC Pearl just released 2000, this year, 2021. It's smaller, high yielding. So that can be used for making like hummus and, and those kind of things. So, so when you kind of using it for processing like that, 
seed size doesn't really matter because you're going to crush it anyway. So as long as it's a, it's a good agronomy and good agronomy with the potential yield, then you can still kind of uh, uh, process it. And then there's some specialty chickpeas, which is kind of on the smaller markets and people still uh, looking for it. For example, even the daisy type. Daisy is, uh, we have a number of good varieties of daisy uh, been along. And then farmers kind of still reluctant to, to grow daisy. I, I don't know why. And then once in a while, I receive a request, uh, kind of large quantity of daisy varieties. Well, I said, I release it, but it doesn't to be kind of accepted uh, widespread in the farming community. So, so that's another one. And then the other uh, kind of uh, specific varieties or specialty varieties that we release, black daisy and then green kabuli chickpeas. Green kabuli is a, kind of is a unique one. For example, uh, in US market, there is a kind of, a, kind of green immature chickpeas uh, used like a field piece. And then it tastes much better than field piece, actually, the chickpeas. So they have a market there. They're already processing it in a still water in Idaho, I believe. So they process that and they sell it quite expensive in supermarket as a immature frozen chickpeas, still green. So they use conventional varieties. So when conventional varieties, uh, you, you harvest immature, your window of harvest is very narrow. So if you use green carbolis, then your window of harvest is kind of much wider. In conventional variety, if you pass certain levels, the seed color, start changing into kind of blondish color. It's not green anymore. Then it's not appealing for that fresh market. But if you have your window of harvest is much wider, so you can kind of work uh, uh, more convenient. Uh, so, so that's one of the one of the goal there. And also there's a trend in market for green hummus. So green hummus. So green kabuli chickpeas is, is really good for, for serving uh, that purpose. And nutritionally, the green kabulis also has much higher amount of beta carotene. So fortunately, so a lot of good things in there. And probably these things we need to communicate as a group to the to the consumer. There is an option here. So the black, there's a market in Iran, for example, looking for the black desi for small market for different purpose. And also for organic growers where they want a distinct product that they can separate from the mainstream product. So this is special chickpea that they can use into their, into their system. So the black kabuli, uh, black desi or green kabuli. So, so if they want to separate from, from the other of the same species from the mainstream market, so they can use this so all kind of varieties that can be. Uh, can be used. So that's uh, kind of my goal. It's not a big market, kind of very specialty market. There's a, there's a pin demand there. So you don't want to overproduce it. But that's, so that's, that's my goal there. So I give an opportunity for, for those uh, maybe entrepreneurs or, or processing. Okay, there's an option here. Feel free to use it. And if there is anything else that I can bring in, uh, let me know. So, so we can do kind of uh, throwing one stone and then you can do all two, three things together. Well, it's kind of neat that there's all the different, you know, markets and, and potential for these, what we would kind of call off types. Yeah. Off looking ones, right? Uh, green colored. Um, that's interesting. And, and hopefully there can be a high value market that can be, those can be sold into once they're available. Um, so speaking of varieties that are available, uh, there's mm -hmm. a number of new varieties that are just in the hands of seed growers right now. 
Yeah. Would you like to comment on those new varieties and, and kind of highlight what growers can expect to see in terms of some of those varieties that will be coming commercially available in the next few years? Yeah. So the, the new varieties that we release, uh, there are a number that are already kind of uh, at the selects and foundation level. So CDC Orney, CDC Lancer. So these are all Kabuli, medium, large uh, seed size and uh, similar levels of Ascokaita with leader. And they have this tolerance to Imazamok. So that will uh, kind of add to the farmers a tool for, for weed management. And then the newer varieties that were just released in 2001, a couple Kabulis, one large Kabuli. So one of kind of a similar seed size as Orion. Okay, so and again with uh, with uh, uh, tolerance to imazamox, so so that's another one, and then according to my trials in the south during 2019, 2020, when I saw Orion kind of uh, really damaged in my plots because of Ascokaita, and these two lines, the new lines that we have, we release still kind of uh, performing much better. So hopefully, uh, with the new varieties, uh, we can kind of. Uh, at least uh, minimize the problem, avoid the problem that happened with Orion. So this kind of this is a replacement for for those two two varieties. And then we 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 gonna continue working on this, uh, continue working on this, improving uh, even better for Ascokaita and even uh, kind of a higher yield. So so that that's uh, what to expect uh, in the near future. <laughs> Well, that's great. So growers can expect to see some new varieties that have larger seed size, imi tolerance, and improved yeah. ascochyta. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Good, so. good news. So I guess the last question I have for you, um, you've been instrumental in the policy industry, specifically in Saskatchewan, but really in Canada and North America. Where do you see the future of pulses, not only here, but as you look more globally? And you can relate it to chickpeas, but, you know, pulses in general, I guess. Yeah, so I think it's very bright in the future. So there's a number of factors, for example, on the economic and, and uh, health environment factor. So the demand for plant-based protein will be increasing. So this is uh, the, as more people kind of try to diversify their source of protein and then uh, kind of uh, more health uh, kind of consensus people vegan or vegetarian or growing population. So, so this demand, I would say, will keep going, will keep increasing. That's really an, kind of an opportunity for us to supply uh, this market. And at the same time, on the environmental basis, again, as I mentioned earlier on, all the legumes, chickpeas, pea, lentil, fava bean, they all kind of have low carbon footprint because and they are fixed nitrogen, okay, less input is needed. So that's another uh, kind of a plus side of having the legumes. So we need legumes kind of a crop for, for that. So that's another kind of opportunity there as well. So it's good for the environment. And on the biological uh, system, because of that capacity of the legume crops uh, to fix its own nitrogen. So in any sustainable crop production system, you need to have a kind of a crop rotations. And one component in crop rotation is always legume that can kind of uh, 
uh, fixes your nitrogen and also leave something that kind of residual to the following, to the succeeding crops. And also cut the cycles of the disease of the main crop, which is cereal still going to be main crop. Or maybe in Canada, another one, canola perhaps. So, so, so having legume in those rotation really beneficial. So putting all together, the demand of the global market for, for the plant-based protein and the species, the group of species that are good for the environment, fixes or nitrogen, and the farming practice where you need to have a rotation, sustainable crop production. So that's uh, uh, kind of really the bright future for legume for pulses here in Canada and globally. Well, that's very exciting. It's a great time to be in the pulse industry going forward with all those positive attributes. Well, that wraps up our discussion today. I want to give a big thank you to Bunyaman for joining us and also congratulations again for supporting the pulse industry and being recognized as the pulse promoter. Thank you to everyone for tuning into this podcast. For more information about the Pulse Promoter Award and the recipients from this year, visit the news section of the SPG website at saspulse.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss upcoming episodes. To stay up to date with Saskatchewan Pulse Growers, you can subscribe to our mailing list on our website. We send regular updates, keeping you informed on market updates, new technologies, and trends in pulse production. Thank you for tuning into the Pulse of the Prairies podcast.